We are, um, for a couple weeks, we just, we started off in Romans. We took a break from Romans to appropriately go through an ad season. And until, uh, until February, we're going to go into a four-week kind of refresher, kind of jumpstart kind of sermon series, uh, calling it Connected in Communion. And um, the, the whole intention of this is for us to understand us as a people, who God's called us to, what is community, why do we have to do community through communion, uh, what does that even mean, how do we rally together, why has God called us as a church together, what do the relationships look like in a church and what community is. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, and uh, that'll launch us into our By talking about this, is this going in and out again? Gosh dang it. Okay, let me, let me take this thing. I was like, are you guys messing with me back there? Are you turning me down? Are you turning me up? I'm going to turn this off. Switched. Is that better? Okay. So l- let me just state a fact that is kind of a, something that people want to kind of turn to, bl- I had a friend this morning kind of joke with me and every time I'd see him, he would just do this this morning, just kind of joking with me and pretending like he doesn't see me. But the reality of that kind of a thing sometimes happens in the church. If you've been in the church for any period of time, you know that the church can get what Marianne and I call crunchy. Sometimes in our relationship, we get a little crunchy with each other. We know we still love each other. We know we're still committed to each other, but there might be moments where it's like, man, we had this, we had this, uh, opportunity in our marriage, and it didn't always work out towards reconciliation. So there might be a little period of time. We never let it go more than a day, usually, right? Never. It's usually only a couple couple hours. But where we just kind of feel crunchy with each other. And so we kind of do this, right? You do your thing. I'll do my thing. We're not going to like go separate ways, but we just kind of need to give each other some space. And if you've been in the church for any period of time, you know that that's a reality. Or Sometimes you feel the politics of church. It's like, well, unless you're in with this crowd, then you don't get to experience this, right? And unless you know this guy or this girl or this thing, then, then you don't get to like, enjoy the benefits of this. And that's unhealth. That, the reality is that sometimes takes place in the church. And no matter how perfect of a church you find, it's never going to be completely perfect. Why? Because the church is filled with imperfect people who are being transformed by the power of God to become more like God. But no matter where you step in to a church, there's this funny little saying that says, if you find the perfect church, don't go. Why? Because you'll just mess it up. Because you're not perfect, right? Sometimes we prefer to kind of enjoy uh, the kind of a church where we can smile at each other, where we can know each other from a distance, a little bit of an arm's length. I don't want to get too messy. I don't want to get too involved because the moment I do, all the politics start happening, all the the crunchiness takes place. Um, If you're like me, we just went away on a little three-day getaway after Christmas, and we went up to Yosemite. And uh, our family, we enjoy the, the coldness. We, I've, I haven't been to Yosemite for years. And going back there, um, seeing the grandeur of El Capitan, right? 
seeing the grandeur of the waterfalls falling from like thousands of feet coming down and you're just like the amazement of that's where my soul gets restored. But it's not just the grandeur of it. For some reason, it has to do with not a lot of people are there. (laughs) You know, my my hedonistic, my selfish kind of uh, dream is to be alone in, you know, uh, El Capitan area and just feeling the wind hit my face and not another person for miles around. No, no, except for my wife. Okay. Um, And... That's kind of sometimes where we want to live in a community. We say we want to be a part of community, but sometimes we prefer the trees over people. Sometimes we prefer the waves crashing on the beach because here's the thing. You ever find out sometimes that you are just, you've got it all figured out when you're by yourself? Maybe there's a season in life where you're working on yourself or you're working on this project and you've been given the privilege of being able to do this alone. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Humans come into the situation and just mess up all your plans. Why do we find that true sometimes? It's because of this, I think, especially in the church, is we don't understand that community has to be connected in communion. So I want you guys to say this with me this morning. Communion shapes community. Can you say that for me? Communion shapes community. One more time. All right. Now put that in your pocket for now. Communion shapes community. Put it in your pocket. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through community a bit this morning. And then we're going to unpackage that, that beautiful truth that communion shapes community and why that's true and how that's true this morning. So I want to ask you a question. And it's always helpful to go back to the beginning when we're trying to understand truth. The Bible talks about this law of first mention. Anytime something is mentioned for the first time, you really got to perk up your eyes and your ears and say, oh, what does scripture say about that? Before the fall, before sin entered the world, before Adam and Eve did what Adam and Eve did and took a bite of the fruit and screwed it all up for the rest of us here this morning, right? Thank you, great grandpa and grandma. Before that happened, Did Adam have any needs? Before sin entered the world, did Adam... See, here's why this question is so important for us as we look at the truth of community. Because how we answer that will shape and form and will determine our actions and our decisions that we make when we are engaging in church community. So, for some reason, we tend to think that the more spiritual we get, the more mature we get, the more we grow in our Christian faith, the more we step, if there was a ladder, so to speak, and we're trying to get to God, and we're getting closer, if the goal of Christianity is to get to God, we sometimes think the more mature we get to God, the less that we need people the less that we get dependent on people, right? For some reason, this, this kind of thinking has soaked into the church. Hey, if you want to be a leader, then that means that you are competent to stand on your own. You don't need any help from anybody else. That's what true leadership is. If you're a mature Christian, that means that you are 
always an overcomer in Christ. And any situation that comes your way, you don't need anybody's input to help you. You don't need anybody. You know how to go to scripture right away. You know how to self-feed on scripture by yourself. You are a self-sustaining Christian machine. But that's not true. (laughs) See, it may sound heretical. And hey, let's have the debate. Let's have the challenge here this morning. But believe it or not, Adam needed more than just God. What? Now that sounds and it feels a little wrong to say something like that. But here's why I think scripture helps us see that. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And this is, we know that the creation of all of the world has taken place. We, We know that Adam has been created And it says this in verse 2, or I'm sorry, in chapter 2, verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said. Who said this? God said this. What did God say? It is not good that the man should be alone. Bless you. I will make him a a helper fit for him. This is not Adam saying this. Adam was actually quite the opposite. He was kind of a stupid general Dude, right? He's just like, I'm fine. Bring a bunch of animals to me. Maybe I can find a helper there. God, in his creation of mankind, said what? It is not good for man to be alone. And this refutes and it pushes back this kind of understanding that if somehow we as Christians get more mature, we get more spiritual, we get more godlike, that's really the goal is to get closer to God and become more like God, right? to transform us into the image of God, that somehow that equals our dependence from each other and it, ha- and it somehow equals us being stoic and being able to stand in like the old Simon and Gar, I think it's Simon and Garfunkel song. Some of you guys don't have a clue who that is. Sorry, kids. I am a rock. I am an island, right? My dad was a hippie, so I listened to that stuff growing up. No, you're not a rock. You're not an island. Why? Because in the beginning, God created man. And when God looked down at man, he says, this isn't good to be alone. And if you've been at a wedding, this is what every preacher preaches at a wedding. And we always usually only ever apply it to marriage. But this has to be applied to community as well. And so friends, the more spiritual, the more mature we get, does not equal our dependence from each other. It actually is quite the opposite. You were not created to be alone. Not even alone with God. You ever hear somebody say, all I need is Jesus? Nope, that's not true. All you need is Jesus and community. If you wanna say all I need is Jesus, Try to hold your breath for five minutes in here this morning. Now, I know that's so like, oh, come on, Kelly. That's a physical thing we're talking about. Okay, maybe all I need is Jesus and breath. Okay, then try not eating. Okay, maybe I need all I need is Jesus, breath, and food. Okay, try not having coffee. Okay, maybe, you know, and you guys, the point what I'm saying here is that God created us with a need. 
And so sometimes we think, oh, because the fall happened, that's what the, no, this is pre-fall. This is pre-sin enters the world. Now, there's an object lesson here in chapter two, if we continue reading it. And I think God was trying to prove a point with Adam. So he brings all the animals up to him, right? And he says, all right, uh, two dogs, two cats, two mice, one human. Two lions, two tigers, two bears. You knew where I was going to go with that, right? How many humans? One. Two rabbits, 200 rabbits, 2,000 rabbits. I mean, it is what it is, right? One human. Here's what, here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2. If we continue reading there in verses 19 through 23. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And here it is again, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So... The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said this, and it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a serenade. If you can imagine Don, who's the, the romantic, Don De Leon, I don't know what his name is, sitting up on the, on the balcony with his flamenco guitar. This is what happens here. This at last is bone of my bones. I don't know if he had a Spanish accent. Okay. And flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Whoa, man, right? Because she was taken out of man. See, finally, this need that God had put into Adam is met through God's blessing. And there's this, there's this, there's illustration, God is saying, okay, Adam, I'm going to let all of creation go. And for you, sometimes we think, okay, creation's enough. All I need is me in the trees. All I need is me in this waterfall because I feel so close to God. And the moment people start getting involved in it, I feel far from God. The problem we have with that is because we don't understand, again, that our community is based and it needs to be seen through the lenses of communion. Some people would say, well, I get, the closer I get to God, the more I feel like I don't need people. I feel like I'm connecting to God closer when I'm away from people. I say, that can't be true. The two are hand in hand. Actually, friends, the closer you get to God, the more mature you become, the more spiritual you become as a Christian, the more you push into community. Let that be, I mean, hey, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm stepping on toes this morning. I'm speaking to myself as well. But that is true. The more that we consider ourselves to be mature and spiritual, the more we push into community. The more we understand that God has created us with a need to be able to connect and not only give, but to receive. See, this church needs people to give. 
And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about giving into community, to participate in community. Why? Because none of us are called to live life in isolation. And so you may be coming to this church to receive, and you should receive from this church. But if you are coming to a church just to receive, you're missing the other part of it, is that when you are part of a church, community means you give. Because there's other people that need your gift. There's other people that need to receive from you. And the beauty of it is when we receive and when we give, then we receive and then we give and then we give and then we receive and we receive and then we give. And that's the beauty of community because all of us here need to receive and all of us here have something to give. And the more spiritual and the more mature we go, the more closer we get to God, the more closer, that's not a good word, but the closer we get to God, the closer we should get to each other. The two are not mutually exclusive. You guys doing okay? All right. That leads me to the point of the truth that there is no such thing as becoming more spiritual and mature equals less need and more dependent on God. So people who say, I don't need God, I don't need church, I don't need communion. We were just, when we were in Thailand, actually, we, we were part of their gathering, and this guy got up, and he talked about him being sick. And he said something to this effect. Um, I, I understand some of you know I was sick for a couple of weeks, and I, a lot of you reached out and said, hey, can we bring you meals? Can we help you with this? And he went on to, to kind of quasi-apologize and say, you know, I, I kind of pushed people away because I'm the kind of person that grows closer to God when I'm forced to not lean on any community. I'm the kind of person who needs to learn how to seek God without people helping me in my life. And some of us take that and we, again, apply that thing of maturity and say, yeah, that's mature. That person doesn't need anything. But the truth is, the two aren't mutually exclusive. God never leads you on a path of independence. Never, never leads you on a path of independence in your Christian walk. Oh, okay, well, what about Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted? I know because some of you are thinking that. See, the Holy Spirit did not lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted alone in isolation for the rest of his life. It wasn't this Jesus, all he needed was the Father and he would be okay. There may be seasons in your life where God says, hey, you need some isolation. You need to to be, have some solace. You need to just meditate on scripture, but that's never our journey as individuals where we remain and stay. It always brings us back into community. This is what Genesis chapter three says. If we continue this story, verses one through seven says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her stupid, oh, it doesn't say stupid, to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, what happens here is we take this quasi-truth that maturity equals isolation, and we listen to the voice of the enemy, and when the voice of the enemy says things like, you don't really fit in there. You're not, that's not your crowd. Or he says things like, you know, um, you've really messed up. You've really sinned. And I don't know if you should show your face around a bunch of people who are probably living a better life than you. You should probably isolate yourself a bit from them. Just until, just until you kind of get things together. Then when you are living a, a better life, then you can come back to this community. You know what? You, you, your family right now is a big mess. You need to focus on your family. You need to, you know, make sure your family's in a good place before you engage in community. Because, you know, obviously when you engage in community, you need to bring health into community. And your family's in not a good place, and you're not going to bring any health into this community. You're actually going to be a drag on people. People are going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person's asking for help again. And see, what the enemy does is he takes this and he takes and he perverts these truths and he speaks and he speaks lies and he whispers to us and he says little things that seem like truth and it would seem like wisdom, but it's just a little bit off. And we tend to, like Eve, believe the enemy and we distract ourselves and we isolate ourselves and we push ourselves away from community. And it's just like the lion praying and he looks for that one impala, that one deer that somehow gets isolated from the rest of the pack and it's always that one that gets taken out. And I see it over and over and over and over again. I hear people say things like, you know, I left this church to come to this church because that church really didn't have community. I left them because I wasn't really getting connected. Or I hear the same thing here. You know, I'm leaving because, you know, I, I love our community group. I love, I love the group that I'm in, the life group that I'm in, and I'm getting really But You know, I want certain attention from these certain people. And so I'm going to go look for a church that I can get this attention from these people and this certain group. And, and then what happens is the enemy isolates us and takes us out. And that's the strategy of the enemy. When God's plan, you know, what, you know what I do when I tend to feel isolated from people? When I tend to feel down, when I tend to feel like I'm being a little less cared upon, I intentionally will push in to people. I intentionally will say, okay, God, I need to receive, but in my receiving, I'm going to give. And you know what I always find? is that in my giving, I always find I get receiving in the back. Isn't that interesting how that works? My encouragement to you this morning is if you're in a place where you're feeling a little like, I really need to receive, push in. Push in. Join one of our groups. Join, I mean, 
what do we do here at Southlands? How do we practically work this out? We gather together on a Sunday morning. We have groups that meet through the week. We join together here and there. We, we get together for prayer. We have, we have teams that people serve on. Are these things so that we can get butts and seats? No. The goal of Southlands Chino is not to get butts and seats. I said butts, okay? It's going to be all right. Because the reality is, even if you do all these things, you still can be excluded from community. You could do all the check marks. You can go to all of our groups. You can go to every Sunday morning. You can, get, you can serve on every team. You could do all the things that we say, this is how you get connected here at this church, and still not engage in community. If you're just filling it. See, when you do all these things and you push in and you say, man, I'm, I serve on the worship team and I'm not just here. I don't just show up on a Sunday and just do my thing. I engage with the guys and the girls that I'm playing with on the band. When I'm on hospitality, I'm not just showing up and I don't say hi to anybody else on the team. I'm engaged. I'm getting here early and we're starting. Oh man, it's early. Why do I have to fill the juices on this thing? It's like, yeah, this sucks. Okay. And we're rubbing shoulders together. We're shoulder to shoulder. We're engaging in community. So it's not about filling seats with butts. It's about us communing together. Um, the problem is that we take the sin and the shame and we apply it to the way of community. So what do I mean by that? Did you notice that Adam and Eve realized that they were naked after the fall? All of a sudden, they realize what just happened. So they sew themselves together, some, some fig leaves. And see, what happens here is this same kind of sin and shame isolates us because when we believe the lies of the enemy, if we've done something bad, if we apply the fall to our community, then we isolate ourselves, but God redeems. I mean, we could go on and on in here, but you guys are getting the point. All right, let me skip that. This leads us back into the statement I gave us early the beginning that community is shaped by communion. What does that mean? If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Now here's, here's a truth. You know, we have the Lord's Prayer. And often what we think the Lord's Prayer is when the disciples come up to Jesus and Jesus, and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus says, okay, when you pray, pray our Father, right? That's not the Lord's prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus is telling the disciples how to pray. The Lord's prayer we see is here in John chapter 17. And he says this, because this is the Lord praying, okay? That's how we know it's the Lord's prayer. That's how that works. Uh, see? Okay, so Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, Lord, Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe, who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now look at this in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Here's, here's the prayer of Jesus. 
He's speaking about this community. He's speaking about unity in the disciples. He's speaking about this togetherness. And then he uses this word glory. Now, so many times in the church, we, we think of glory as like the, the manifest presence of God and we seek the glory of God and it's this kind of out there, where to go? Oh, I think it went over there. Oh no, now it's here. Kind of a thing, this ethereal thing. But in the context of this prayer, Jesus talks about the glory of God as what? Unity, community. And if we want to get super spiritual, we want to become mature Christians, we want to grow in our faith, we want to continue to take walks towards God and and us becoming more like Christ, and we say, God, I want to see your glory, like Moses said. Lord, I I want to see you for who you are. Jesus says, you know what the glory of God is? It's when the saints are in unity together, and they understand that they need each other, and they're not living independent lives apart from each other. That's the glory of God. What's the application for us? God, we want your glory. We can't do it alone. We need each other. We don't want to just live in a kind of a culture where we kind of do this with each other. Hey, yeah, how's it going? Good, great. Okay, see you later. No. We understand that we need each other. We engage with each other. And I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but unless this is you know, you know, when this hits the ro- rubber hits the road, it's like a fork in the road moment. Man, am I going to en- engage in community? There's a moment where, I mean, let's just take our Sunday morning gatherings. Yeah, I'm not really, I'm, I had a really long week. No one will, no one will miss me if I don't show up this morning. I'll just kind of call in sick a little bit. You know, I, you know I'm, I, I just, I mean, you guys get the point. I'm not trying to make us feel guilty. What I'm trying to get us to understand is the beauty of community, that God created it, and he created us with a need, and how communion shapes. Jesus says the word glory in reverence to unity. We're talking about glory and how we want to become more glorious. And if we ask the question, how does communion shape this? The reality is that we can't go to these tables, what we're about to do in a bit here, we can't go to these tables this morning and so to speak, thank God for his body that was broken for us, his blood that was spilt for us, without understanding the beauty of the communion that Jesus created for us because in that action. See, what we often want to do is have community on our own terms. What we often want to do is say, I will give or I'll receive this much and no more. I will participate. I will receive this much and no more. Community will be on my terms because I don't want anybody hurting me and I don't want to hurt anyone else. But the beauty is that when we understand community through the eyes of communion, we say, Jesus You laid down your life for us. Ultimately, your life was broken. Your life was beaten. One, why? To give us ultimate community with the Father. And Jesus did the hard yards for us. If we're relying on our own ability to have this beautiful, utopian community that we're talking about this morning, it'll never happen. But with Christ in communion, see, when, when 
I sin or someone sinned against me, that offense no longer holds weight in our relationship. Why? Because of the blood and the broken body of Christ. When I am tempted to isolate myself, and I'm tempted to believe a lie of the enemy, when I go back to the table of communion, and I see that the blood was spilt for me, I know that it washes away all my sins, and I carry no more shame, and I can gauge, I can step right through these doors without any kind of tail between my legs with boldness and say, I am set free. Nobody's better than me, and I'm not better than anybody else because of the broken body of Christ. And I can engage in community. And if communion isn't the center of our community, then we are just an affinity group. Then we are just people doing church on a Sunday morning, and that's all we're doing. But when communion is the center of our community, we welcome in who? Broken lives. We welcome in people who are imperfect, just like us. We welcome in people into our cliques. We lay down our politics. We lay down any kind of judgment that would say, oh, this person doesn't dress, look, or eat, kind of do the same things we do. We lay all of that down because Jesus reconciled us to each other and he reconciled us to God. And so therefore it flows out from us and we welcome people into our world and we engage. We give ourselves even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, we give of ourselves into the community that God's placed us in. Will you guys stand with me this morning?